All right, morning, guys. Um, this is definitely the uh, smallest group of people I've ever preached to, so we got a couple here in the room. Um, but uh, my name is Willie O'Quinn. Good to be here with everybody, even if it's over live stream. And for the next couple weeks, you can call me Willie Graham. Um, but uh, guys, I know this is crazy times for a lot of us. Um, most of you guys are aware, but we've suspended congregational gatherings for the next few weeks. And uh, even because of this, KU is closed. So uh, we're not going to be having our joint service on March 29th. Um, and we'll continue to send out information as necessary. So just be on the lookout for that. Um, I do want to encourage us while we have less interaction, let's, let's still make sure, guys, we're still Christian. So let's still make sure that we are engaging with one another in the healthiest way possible. Let's make sure we're staying connected to God. Uh, through the word, through prayer, and finding ways to connect with one another. Um, and I also want to urge us just to be prepared for how God's going to be working during this time. We know that God works in awesome ways, especially during times like this. Times like this are often when uh, God's people can shine the brightest. So let's be looking for ways to be a light in our neighbors, uh, in our neighborhoods. And uh, let's be ready to kind of bring in the harvest. I think times like this are really going to draw people closer to God. And, uh, and so as all this stuff gets resolved, let's be ready to go and able to, to bring in the harvest for people that are out there looking for God. So um, I do want to remind us, you know, do what you can to take communion in your homes. And uh, please remember to participate in online giving. This will really help the uh, church continue to function financially as we do this. So you can go to our websites and uh, click on the link at the top to be able to uh, give online. So thank you guys in advance for doing that. Um, but let's go ahead and turn over to Daniel chapter 3. So we're continuing our series on the book of Daniel. Uh, I know we've got some um, disciples from Lawrence and Kansas City jumping on today. So welcome. Shout out to everybody who's on. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and do a little recap of our series just for those um, for those that uh, haven't been here in Lawrence. So uh, yeah, so let's go ahead and dive into Daniel a little bit. Okay, so just to recap, after the glory days of uh, Israel during David and Solomon, um, the kingdom was divided into the north and southern kingdoms. And so because of their continued disobedience, after continual patient warning from God, uh, God kind of pulls the protection from his people, and they have to learn the hard way. And so the northern kingdom is destroyed by Assyria fairly quickly, and then uh, sometime later, Babylon conquers Assyria, and then Babylon comes in and takes control of the southern kingdom of Judah in about 605 B.C. And so this is when the first captives were taken into Babylon, and that would have been when Daniel and his friends were taken as well. Um, and so the book of Daniel takes place in Babylon during the 6th century B.C. And what makes Daniel so unique to other prophets in the Bible is most other prophets are surrounded by God's people, whereas Daniel is completely pulled away from God's people, and he's a prophet of God in a pagan world. And so from Daniel and his friends... We get this incredible example of how to live faithfully while being surrounded in a pagan world. And uh, it's really important for us to understand the significance and the purpose of the book of Daniel and the role that it plays throughout Scripture and for God's people. Because for the next several centuries, God's people were going to be 
pass back and forth, kind of like a rag doll between major world powers, and they were going to suffer brutal mistreatment. And Daniel and his friends would be a message of hope and inspiration to God's people during this period, as well as for us today. And so there's two phrases that I really want us to memorize that I think kind of capture and summarize the book of Daniel. The first one is, stand firm, do not fear. And and Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they inspire us to stand firm and remain faithful regardless of the circumstance we're in and regardless of what may happen to us. You may be thrown into a furnace. You might be thrown into a lion's den. You might be ripped away from your home. Regardless of the circumstance, do not compromise. Stand firm and do not be afraid because God is looking out for his faithful servants and he can deliver us and rescue us. And so as God, God's people would have been going through just incredible challenging circumstances for centuries to come at the hand of these different world empires, they would have looked back and held on to the stories of Daniel and his friends as they stood their ground, regardless of the danger that they faced. And it would have been incredible inspiration for them as it is for us today. And so in part one, we looked at Daniel chapter one. And remember, um, when a conquering nation would come in, they would have some tactics to, to dissolve that culture and assimilate the people that they just conquered. So they would take the best of the best from the, the, the country they were conquering, and they would remove them and bring them to their home. And so what this would do is this would strengthen their culture and their country. And so this was Daniel and his, and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, Dindo. They were some of the best and the brightest, so they were taken captive, and they would kind of just leave the scrubs left. Uh, And then they would have some of their people move in and intermarry with them. Uh, And that would be a way of over time just dissolving their culture and preventing any rebellion because all you got is kind of the weakest scrubs. uh, So they're not going to try to revolt. Um, And, you know, this is also where the Samaritans come into play because the northern kingdom, Assyria came in, they ended up intermarrying. And that's where kind of the culture and nation of Samaria came in. But... uh, um, anyway, so Daniel and his friends are brought to Babylon, and they are actively being threatened to have their culture, their religion, everything they believe dissolved. So they're given new jobs, they're given food to eat, they're, they're given a language to speak, and they're even given new names. In fact, Daniel's name was, that was given to him was Belteshazzar, which meant may Bel protect his life. And Bel was the chief god of Babylon. So you got to imagine Daniel being a, a holy, righteous servant of the one true God, being given a name after a false God. I mean, his faith was being threatened um, in an extreme way. And they were put in this position where they were asked to eat specific food in order to train under the king. And Daniel, something about what they were asked to do would have defiled his righteousness, would have gone against his conscience. And so Daniel draws a line and decides and he, he resolves himself that I will not compromise. And, and he was definitely under fear of death from the king, but he didn't care. And, and so in chapter one, we see just this incredible example of Daniel standing firm and refusing to compromise regardless of what may happen to him. Um, so the first phrase that really summarizes the book of Daniel that we're memorizing is stand firm, do not fear. And the second phrase 
for us to hold on to that I think captures the book of Daniel is, do not fear, God is sovereign. You know, the second phrase captures the other purpose of the book of Daniel, specifically regarding the different prophecies and visions that are given. So Daniel, I mean, skeptics tried to attack the book of Daniel more than any other book, because if it's true, if it really happened, then there is no doubt that the Bible is the inspired word of God, because these visions, these prophecies are so incredibly accurate. Daniel basically writes a history book of the future. Yep. And um, and so, uh, you know, but these visions, they weren't just, this wasn't just a cool party trick. Uh, God gave them to Daniel for a specific purpose, because remember, God's people were going to be brutally mistreated for centuries to come by these different world powers. And so God's giving these visions to Daniel of the future so that his people can hold on to hope that, you know what, regardless of what kingdom is running the show right now, God is behind all of it. Uh, Babylon is not running the show. Persia is not all-powerful. Greece is not all-powerful. Rome is not sovereign because God's told us in 605 BC what's going to take place over the course of the next hundreds of years. So God is sovereign and God is running the show. And so we saw in Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar is given this dream of this incredible statue. And, uh, and Daniel is given the opportunity to interpret this vision. And, it, and it's basically an outline of the world empires that are going to rise and fall over the next several hundred years. Um, and at the end of it, there's this message of hope and inspiration that in the midst of the Roman kingdom, God's kingdom is going to come, and it's going to strike down all the other kingdoms. It's going to endure forever. It will never be destroyed, and it's going to spread and fill the entire earth. And guys, we've got to realize the hope that that would have brought for God's people for centuries as they were undergoing persecution and oppression from these other world empires that, you know what? Pretty soon, God's going to set up his kingdom. And that's the kingdom that we get the pleasure of being a part of today. And so the message through these incredible visions is do not fear because God is sovereign. God is running the show. Don't put your hope in any other kingdom of this world. Put your hope and your faith and your trust in the kingdom of God. Um, and so today, you can go ahead and turn over to Daniel chapter 3 if you're not already there. We're going to look at another story that really challenged and inspires us to stand firm in our faith and do not compromise regardless of the potential consequences. Uh, so we're going to be looking at a really, really famous story, but the, the title of my lesson today is Out of the Fire. Okay, so uh, let's go ahead and jump into Daniel chapter 3. We'll start in verse 1. I'm going to go ahead and say a prayer for us. God, good morning. Um, definitely interesting times, but God, we know that you're sovereign and we have nothing to fear. We know that you rule the nations and you're running the show. I pray that this morning, uh, God, that you would open our hearts to your word. I'm so grateful for Daniel, for Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, God, their incredible faith. And I pray that uh, this morning we would be challenged and inspired to stand firm, to not compromise, and to not be afraid of any potential consequences, but to trust you and know that you're sovereign. God, we love you so much. So grateful for you. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Um, okay, so let's start in Daniel chapter 3, uh, verse 1. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide. 
And he set it up in the plain of Dura, in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So Nebuchadnezzar builds this 90-foot-tall golden image. Okay, He gathers a collection of officials and people from different nations around the world. He sets it up in this gigantic open plain, so there's plenty of room for people to come in and worship this image that, that's been made. Uh, now, it's an interesting timing, right? Because Nebuchadnezzar just had a dream about a giant statue, and Babylon was the head of gold, but all of the other parts of the statue were silver and bronze and iron representing other world empires that would come after Babylon. So it does kind of make you wonder the timing of this. Maybe Nebuchadnezzar setting up this statue out of insecurity or to spite the reality that he just learned in this dream that Babylon was going to come to an end at some point. Uh, we don't know, but it is interesting timing. Uh, but most of us know, know what happens, right? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they had been promoted to extremely high positions. So they were some of these officials that were called to bow down to this statue. Uh, and, and so they're forced to bow down, but they decide to take a stance that we are not going to bow down to any other God but the one true God. So inspiring. Um, and so these tattletales kind of wrap them out to the king. And, you know, it kind of reminds me of uh, like when your sibling tells that you had your eyes open during a prayer, right? Because they should have been bowing down. So it's like, how did you know they weren't bowing down if you weren't bowing down? But uh, anyway, so they kind of, they, they rat them out. They tell uh, the king. And so they're brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar is furious. Uh, and, and he tries to kind of intimidate and threaten them once again into bowing down. But look at Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Look at their response in Daniel 3. Let's look at verse 16. Just such an incredible response to the danger that they face from standing firm in their faith. Shadrach, Meshach, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not... We want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. So the first lesson I think we can learn here that I want to talk about is having stubborn faith. You know, these guys were such examples of stand. inspires me because I think it would have been so easy for them just to make a little compromise. Could have been so easy for them to justify bowing down. And I'm sure they had that conversation with themselves 
and even in their own heads. You know, I mean, God looks at our heart. So maybe we bow down in action, but not in heart. I mean, he knows where our heart really is. I mean, after all, he raised us up to this position. And if we're here to help influence all these other officials, how are we going to be able to do that if we're dead? So, you know, we got to play ball a little bit. we got to be all things to all men so that we can kind of stick around enough so that we can have an impact over the world. You know, we've all had those conversations with ourselves in our head where we're put in these situations that we're being challenged to compromise just a little bit. And it can be so easy to justify or rationalize in our head because God looks at our heart, not our action. So even if I'm compromising in action, that's not really where my heart is at. God knows that he's really, you know, Jesus is Lord of my life. God knows that. But that's what's so inspiring about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Their faith was so stubborn that they wouldn't even compromise a little bit. You know, and sometimes... When we're put in these situations and we have these conversations in our head, I think more oftentimes than not, we do make those little compromises. And, and there's lots of reasons for us to justify it, right? We don't want to be disrespectful. Uh, we don't want to offend someone. We don't want to be too legalistic. We definitely wouldn't want to jeopardize our jobs or put our kids in an uncomfortable situation. We tell us, you know, we, we have these conversations with ourselves and we tell us these different uh, reasons. But I think more times than not, we often find ourselves making those little compromises rather than having that stubborn faith. And guys, here's the deal. I believe that we have entered the early years of a post-Christian world. I think we still live with the idea that America is this Christian country, but I believe that we are in the early stages of a post-Christian world. And there's going to be ever-increasing social norms that conflict with God's standard of righteousness and holiness. And in the months and years to come, I think we're all going to find ourselves being put in situations where we have to continually decide to make little compromises mm. that may lead to some consequences or to stand firm and have a stubborn faith. And guys, I question how stubborn our faith is. I think we live in a soft society, and I think our faith has grown a little soft. Well, and guys, for those that decide to have a stubborn faith, to stand firm, to not budge, to not compromise, there will be consequences that we will have to be willing and ready to face. And that's what's so inspiring about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is they didn't budge, and they didn't care what the consequences were. I love this. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. They trusted that God would bless their faith and their refusal to compromise, but the most inspiring thing to me is what they say next in verse 18. But even if he does not, even if he does not rescue us, we want you to know, Nebuchadnezzar, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. You know, I think sometimes we make this contract with God in our minds that if I do X, God owes me Y. And, and if I do this, or if I don't do this, this is how God is supposed to follow through. But guys, standing firm in our faith 
doesn't guarantee that our life is going to be spared in this life. In Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they refused to compromise, not so that God would bless them, but because they loved God, and they wanted to honor God, and they feared God, and they loved God more than they feared man. And guys, this response from these faithful men We are not going to compromise. We are not going to bow down. Our God is able to rescue us. But even if he does not, we are not going to lose our faith. We're not going to back down. Even if he does not, we are still not going to compromise. We're still not going to bow down. Guys, this response was going to be so important for God's people in the coming centuries. Like I said, God's people were going to endure incredibly challenging circumstances in the centuries to come. And while the book of Daniel is even meant for us today, you know, this was really specifically addressing, it was a message for the, you know, God's people that were going to be under the rule of Antiochus, one of the Greek kings. Okay, Antiochus, in about 175 BC, he was on this mission to spread Greek culture and to wipe out Jewish culture. And he implemented several terrible tactics to do this. But one of the things that he would eventually implement is outlawing and forbidding of the circumcision of your children. And so, you know, we know the significance of circumcision under the old covenant and for God's people. But what what the law required under Antiochus is if you circumcise your child, your family will be executed. And so God's people would be put in this situation where do we make a little compromise and live or do we stand firm in our faith and suffer the potential consequences and what they would do is if you follow through with circumcising your child they would execute the child in front of the parents then they would execute the wife in front of the father and lastly they would execute the father so guys we, we we, I don't even think we can fathom that type of situation, but those men and women would look to the example of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in these situations where they, they faced danger and the threat of their lives, but even still, they refused to compromise. And they had a belief that regardless of the danger that we faced, our God is able to to rescue us, but even if he does not, we are not going to compromise and we are not going to back down. Guys, this is such an inspiring uh, inspiring story. And and Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they defied the king's commands. They refused to compromise. They weren't afraid of the consequences. They were concerned about pleasing God, not about saving their own lives. They were such examples of having that stubborn faith. And look what's said about them in verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him. They defied the king's command. And they were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. As I think this story focuses, uh, forces us to focus on our own faith. You know, I think we've got to ask ourselves, would this be said about you? That you trusted in your God, that you defy the king's orders, and you refuse to bow down to any other God but the one true God. 
And so I think we've got to ask ourselves, are there any idols in our lives that we have made little compromises to worship? What about compromising for the God of education or career? Right? Just making those little compromises to either keep your career or to advance within your career. What about compromising for the God of money? Right? Jesus said it best, we can't serve two masters. Right? We, we make those little compromises. Maybe it's, oh, it's, you know, instead of working 50 hours, I'll work, you know, 50, 60. We just start to make those little bits of compromises. Maybe it's the God of that relationship. I can't tell you how many people I know that have drifted away from God because of little compromises they made to pursue a relationship with a guy or a girl. What about the God of family? We can make those little compromises along the way just to stay at peace within our families. Mm. What about the God of your children's sports or extracurricular activities? Mm. Those little compromises. Little compromises here and there. But guys, what we end up doing is really negating our faith. And so guys, I think we've got to look to the example of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and realize that we are living in the early stages of a post-Christian world. And if we want to stand firm and honor God, it's going to take a stubborn faith, and we're going to have to be prepared to stand firm and not compromise and not be afraid of the potential consequences. So guys, our God is able to deliver us, but even if he does not, we're not going to lose our faith we're not going to compromise, and we're not going to bow down to any other guys. Um, so the second thing, you know, that's having stubborn faith. The next thing I want to look at is having a refined faith. So let's look in Daniel 3, verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded them, uh, commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent that the furnace and the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men firmly tied fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that were tied up and thrown into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come out here. So Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Man, I wonder what was going through their heads as they were bound hand and foot and being carried into that furnace. I bet just one little apology would have put all this to rest. They would have been spared, but they didn't. 
And so into the furnace they went, and it's here in the fiery furnace that we learn an incredibly important spiritual lesson, and that is that our faith is refined in the flames of the fiery furnace. Guys, what we notice here is that God did not extinguish the flames. God did not prevent them from entering the flames. But God stood with them and protected them while they were in the flames. And I think more often than not, our prayer is for God to spare us from the fires of the furnace. But guys, the fiery furnace is where our faith is proven genuine. 1 Peter 1, verse 6 is the New Living Translation. It says, be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested, just as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through the many trials... It will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You know, I think when we become Christians, we tell ourselves ourselves this story that things should be easier. And we kind of, okay, we hear that, okay, things aren't going to be easier. Yeah, this is going to be the hardest decision you're ever going to make. Yeah, 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 yeah. Jesus is Lord. We get baptized. But... Then we find ourselves being thrown into the furnace and we conclude that either something is going wrong or I'm doing something wrong or someone is doing something wrong to me or God is wrong. When the reality is the flames of the furnace, those should be an indicator to us, not that something is going terribly wrong, but that our faith is being tested and refined. We admire And are inspired by heroes in the faith like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But we lose sight that the Shadrachs, the Meshachs, the Abednegoes, the Daniels, they don't exist without the fiery furnaces. And so guys, rather than resenting the flames, we've got to train ourselves to embrace and endure the flames. And when we find ourselves in the middle of a furnace... It shouldn't set off an alarm of panic, but it rather should be an indicator to us that our faith is being given an opportunity to be refined and tested. It's been given an opportunity to be proven genuine. When I read this story, I'm reminded of a story that's close to home here in Kansas. So in 1917, Glenn and Floyd Cunningham, they were 7 and 13 years old. And they arrived at school, at the schoolhouse, and they would get there early before everybody else. You see, their role at school was to get there early and to start the fire to heat up the building. So in February 1917 in Kansas, we know what that's like, they show up to the schoolhouse and it's freezing. You know, you can see your breath inside. And so Floyd, he was over at the stove. He was adding lumps of coal on top of the wood. And Glenn... You know, he walks over to help him. And, uh, and so while he's helping, uh, you know, they, they reached up, they grabbed the can of accelerant, they pour, uh, pour it on top uh, to start the fire, but someone had mistakenly put gasoline inside instead of kerosene. So when they lit the furnace, the whole place exploded. 
And so a little while later, the teacher and the students arrived, but the school was completely up in flames and Floyd and Glenn were inside. So eventually, when they were pulled out, Floyd had died and Glenn was severely burnt. And later in life, Glenn recalled overhearing the doctors telling his mom that he was not going to survive. And he said hearing this motivated him not to quit. But he had been burned so badly that even if he lived, he would be completely crippled and disfigured in a lot of ways. But Glenn refused to die, is how he puts it. And uh, they got to the point where, uh, okay, we think he's going to live, but we're going to need to amputate his legs. And he was so adamant that they would not amputate his legs that eventually his mom did not let the doctors amputate. And okay, fine, but he's going to live the life as a cripple with these burnt legs. But Glenn, as he grew older, he became determined to walk, even though he was told he was never going to walk again. And so every day he'd massage and work at his legs, even though there's no feeling in And when his mom would leave the house, he would throw himself on the floor every day and just crawl around until he could feel something in his legs, until he could try to pull himself up. And he would throw himself down. He would drag himself outside up to the fence so he could pull himself up and he would walk along the fence. And it said that there was a, a path of dirt that had run, believing that he could walk. Until one day he did walk. And over time, he began to walk to school, and he began to even run to school. And he enjoyed his legs so much that he began running. He a multiple Olympic medalist, and in 1934, he set the world record with a four-minute and six-second mile. And it was later on in his life that Glenn wrote, if it wasn't for the fire, I would have never run the four-minute mile. Then a genuine faith that has stood the test of time and the test of the fiery furnaces. In chapter 4, you know, in 1 Peter, he goes on to say, Dear brothers and sisters, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Guys, for those that choose to stand firm, we will face the fiery furnaces. But when those flames come, we've got to train ourselves not to resent the flames, not to run from the flames, but we've got to realize that God, God oftentimes doesn't extinguish the flames. He doesn't spare us from the flames, but he's standing there with us in the fires of the furnace, and he's training us. He's testing our faith. He's growing us, and he's given us an opportunity to prove that our faith is genuine. And just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who refused to compromise and who stood firm in the furnace, their faith was in ourselves to embrace the fires of the furnace, to embrace the flames, and to realize when we're in the flames, not that something is going wrong, you know, just like Peter said, guys, don't be surprised when these, when these fiery ordeals come as if something strange was happening to you. You know, I think when we become Christians early on, everything's great. And the first time we go through some major challenge, you know, our, our faith gets thrown into a frenzy. And we question our faith and we question God and we question, you know, oh, you know, it's so much. We don't don't be surprised as if something strange were happening. These have come to test us, to test our faith, so that we can grow, so that we can be strengthened, so that we can be refined, so that we can show that our faith is genuine. 
So as we close out today, guys, I want to give us a couple things to reflect on and maybe discuss with your families, with your spouses, with your roommates, or if you're going to be meeting in small groups, you choose to do that, uh, you know, that you can have some good discussions with have to make little compromises right now. Whether it's in, at school, whether it's with your kids' extracurriculars, or something within your kids' uh, programs at your kids' school, at work, at your job, uh, in, in your households, whatever. Identify and talk about some specific opportunities that you have right in front of you that would be really easy to make little compromises, or maybe that you already have made little compromises in. So I think it's, it's good for us to discuss those things and call them out. Uh, and, and then I think we've got some We've got some homework to do of really searching in our heart of, okay, am I going to make these little compromises or am I going to stand firm, refuse to compromise regardless of the potential consequences? So that's the first question for us to discuss. What opportunities do you have to make little compromises? The second question, it's a two-part question that, that I think will be good for us to discuss, is what fire, how could God be using that to strengthen your faith? I think it's good for us to identify, you know, those sources of anxiety or challenge. What, what are the fiery furnaces that are testing your faith right now? And then to just think through how could God be using those fiery furnace to strengthen your faith? And so, guys, as we enter into this post-Christian world, we are going to increasingly find ourselves in situations that prevent us with opportunities to make little compromises. Our faith will be tested, and we've got to look back to the Shadrachs, Meshachs, Abednegoes to find inspiration and to decide to follow their example that no matter what the consequences are, we are not going to compromise and we will not bow down. We trust that our God is able to deliver us, and even if he does not, we're going to be stubborn in our faith. We're going to allow our faith to be refined, and we are not going to back down, and we are not going to compromise no matter what happens to us. And so I'd like to close with a passage in Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1 and 2. Before I close with that, just a couple uh, reminders. It's been great connecting with you guys today for every service that we, uh, that we don't. Meet as a congregation. We're going to be doing this at 10:30 in the morning live stream. You can find our website. Uh, next week we're going to continue our series on Daniel. We'll be looking at uh, Daniel chapter four and five. Um, and please remember to uh, do whatever you can to take communion uh, and also to give online. Uh, once again, you can find that link on our website at the top. Uh, but to close out, let's read Isaiah 43, starting in verse one. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep you over. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Mm -hmm present the flames, but to allow our faith to be refined through the flames, just like our brothers and our heroes in the faith, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, 
I love you guys. Let's go ahead and say a prayer, and, uh, and we'll be done. God, we thank you so much for just the examples of heroes in the faith, the stubbornness they have, uh, the, the, the stubbornness they had to defy the king's command and to not apologize for it, to not go back on it, but to stand their ground and to be more concerned about honoring and pleasing and loving you than they were hired by the many men and women that suffered under Antiochus during the Greek kingdoms, God, that were put in just such incredible, challenging situations. God, the many men and women that suffered between the Testaments. God, I'm so inspired by the faith of them. And God, I pray that today, Father, I, I truly believe, God, that we're entering into a different stage in our, in our society, a post-Christian stage, and, and we're constantly faced with these little situations that they don't seem like much, but when we really boil it down, God, we're, we're put in situations to make little compromises. And uh, oftentimes we know that something isn't right, but out of fear of offending somebody or out of fear of uh, losing our job or out of fear of being too legalistic, we'll oftentimes make those little compromises. And I'm sorry for when we do. God, I pray that we can have stubborn faith. God, Christians should be some of the most loving, but also the most stubborn people. God, we, we don't back down when it comes to what is right and what you call us to do. And I, I pray that you would strengthen us to stand our ground. And God, I pray that we can be aware of those little compromises in life and that we would stand firm, that we wouldn't fear the consequences. Uh, and God, I pray that as we have fires going on in our life right now, that we wouldn't resent those, what we're going to be going through 10, 20 years from now. You just might be using the fires in our lives today to prepare us and strengthen us for what's to come in, the, in decades uh, in the future. And so, God, I pray that we would pass those tests now, that we wouldn't quit, that we would realize that you may not extinguish the flames, but you're standing right there with us. And, God, that our faith would be proven genuine and that we'd be prepared for greater challenges ahead. God, we love you. We want to please you. We want to stand for you. I'm so grateful for you, God. I'm so grateful for the stories, so grateful for the book of Daniel that we can uh, gain hope and faith and inspiration from. God, it challenges me and inspires me to stand firm. So God, I pray that we would not be afraid, that we would stand our ground. We love you. Uh, 